0: Welcome to Farm. My name is John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Aquapharm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is February 6th, 2020. I'm recording this from a rainy, rainy mountain home, Tennessee. Uh, and today I'm going to talk about neurokinin 1 antagonist drug drug interactions. Uh, and this is a topic that has been uh, something that I was going to look into for quite a while uh, as far as a podcast. And uh, originally I planned this to be kind of a, a podcast for those of you who maybe don't have a ton of experience with chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, maybe those particularly who are learners currently versus those who've been practicing in oncology for a while. Uh, because I didn't think I, I would you know, find anything that nobody else knew going through this. And, and as I started to prepare... Uh, I learned some stuff myself. So even if you know about drug interactions with neurokinin-1 antagonists very well, you might want to stick around for the whole pod. You might learn something as well. So real quick, uh, neurokinin-1 antagonists are uh, very helpful at both preventing both acute and delayed chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. There are uh, three chemical neurokinin-1 antagonists that we have approved, uh, and then a couple different uh, pharmaceutical formulations of these. So we have a prepotent, which is available PO, as EMEND, and there's an IV formulation with that, which I think is cleverly called CINVANTI, as in C-I-N-V-ANTI. Uh, there's fosa prepotent, which is uh, available as an IV uh, formulation of EMEND. Uh, so there's A-PREPATENT, prepotent, natupotent, which is co-formulated with palinostron as an oral dosage form, and then relapitent, which is also an oral dosage form. So I'm gonna look at a natupotent and relapitent. and in general, we consider all of these uh, agents equally efficacious, the difference, And they really don't have a ton of toxicity at all. Uh, so it boils down to two things, drug interaction potential and half-life. That's really what it comes down to. So uh, let's start with Natupatent, which is a moderate 3A4 inhibitor. So a moderate 3A4 inhibitor means it will increase the dose of a, a typical 3A4 drug. And we test, we, we, we test these with midazolam and assume every other 3A4 substrate will act like midazolam. Uh, will, so a moderate 3 or 4 inhibitor will increase uh, the exposure or area under the curve of midazolam by two to five-fold, and that's about what it does with Natupatent, right at two-fold. So it basically doubles uh, the exposure of midazolam. Uh, it has a long half-life, uh, Natupatent, 96 hours in healthy folks, but in folks with cancer, it's actually a little bit shorter, uh, 80 hours. But either way, let's just round this to three to four days. So pretty long half-life. Um, it has been studied with docetaxel. Uh, and etoposide, um, and increases the AUC of docetaxel by 35%, which is a small increase, but docetaxel is certainly a narrow therapeutic index drug, and it increases the AUC of etoposide by 28%, also a narrow therapeutic index drug. Uh, so there's certainly our, our drug interactions we're about with CYP3 for with natupotent, um, mostly with just those narrow therapeutic index drugs. Uh, next, relapotent. Now, unlike all the other um, NK1 antagonists, doesn't have any effect on CYP34, but it is a moderate 2D6 inhibitor and also a breast cancer resistance protein inhibitor. And breast cancer resistance protein is an efflux pump that's located uh, like in breast cancer cells to pump drugs out and as well as in the lumen of the GI tract. Uh, to give you uh, an example, it increases the AUC of dextromethorphan, our typical 2D6 probe, 200%. So it doubles the exposure of, CYP2D, or of dextromethorphan and then presumably many other CYP2D6 members. Now, there are a whole lot of drugs that are substrates of CYP2D6. So this includes carvetilol, metroprolol, uh, a lot of SSRIs, including citalopram and venlafaxine, ondansetron, uh, and uh, a lot of drugs that cause QT prolongation that are metabolized by 2D6. Uh, oxycodone, although the 2D6 pathway gives you oxymorphone, so blocking 2D6 it would not cause more toxicity and codeine. Now the package insert for rel- relapidin does actually have an explicit warning about a, uh, that it's contraindicated with narrow therapeutic index CYP2D6 inhibitors. There's also a precautionary statement about the use with drugs that have a narrow therapeutic index that are breast cancer resistance protein substrates. Now this includes methotrexate, topotecan, irinotecan. And they mentioned resuvastatin as well which is just a really commonly used bcrp substrate Uh, now this is obviously concerning because i haven't talked about this yet but relapitent has a half life of 182 hours which will just round to one week and we know with dextromethorphan that uh, one dose of relapitent is going to increase the AUC of dextromethorphan a month later on day 29 the AUC is still higher with dextromethorphan after one, 28 days uh, prior if you've received relapotent. So because of that long half-life, that interaction hangs around for a long time, a long time. So that's pretty concerning. And uh, the folks who make this drug uh, have published, uh, uh, there's actually a pharmacist lead author, Sally Barber from Duke is a lead author on this study in the Annals of Oncology Integrated Safety Analysis of Relapotent with Co-Administered Drugs from Phase 2-3 Trials, an Assessment of CYP2D6 and BCRP Inhibition, by relaplatin, so uh, and this is funded by the drug company. One of the authors, one of the co-authors, works for the drug company that makes this uh, relaplatin, and they what they've done essentially is pool all the data from registry studies with relaplatin, and they put everyone in a big pile, uh, either you know two D six inhibitors with relaplatin, or two D six inhibitors without relapotin. Uh BCRP substrate with relaplatin and not, and they look at some general toxicity things, uh, and you might be able to see the problem with pulling all these things together. So let's say you're looking at, um, we're looking at 2D6 inhibitors and we're looking at, oh, I don't know. Let's pick an adverse effect here. How about constipation? All right. So 13% constipation with 2D6 inhibit 2D6 substrates, 13% with relaptant versus 14% control. So no difference in constipation if you had 2D6 substrates that may interact with relaptant versus those who didn't get relaptant. The problem is too much of Drugs do not necessarily cause constipation, too much of an opioid. So if relapotent interacted with codeine, you would expect it to cause more constipation. But if if relapotent interacted with a 2D6 substrate that caused diarrhea, that would obviously muddy the results because you're going in opposite directions as a toxicity. So just looking at all 2D6 substrates or all breast cancer-resistant protein substrates tells you nothing about the ability of to interact with one specific drug. Now, they don't have this in the, uh, the print publication, but in the supplementary appendix, which takes some digging, you have to download a zip file to find, they do have a sub-subset analysis uh, looking specifically at just irenatecan, methotrexate, and topotecan with the three chemotherapy drugs explicitly mentioned in the uh, package insert. Now, we only have 44 patients in that group compared to 42 in control, so small numbers, and I would guess because this was reluctant with studying patients receiving uh, AC, so doxorubicin and cyclophosphamide, or cisplatin containing highly metagenic regimens. So probably not a whole lot of cisplatin methotrexate regimens, probably not a cis but cisplatin irinotecan would be used, especially in Japan, for example, for small cell lung cancer. So my guess is most of these are irinotecan. Of course, we don't know of these 44 patients who got irinotecan or methotrexate or topotecan. And again, the side effects here are pretty similar in all regards, with the exception of diarrhea, uh, so only 5% of patients with relapotent had diarrhea compared to 19% in the control group, which if a lot of these patients did receive irinotecan, and we know that relapotent blocks the breast cancer-resistant protein, the way that irinotecan enters into the GI lumen is through BCRP. So if you block irinotecan secretion into the gut, there's less irinotecan there and less SN38 there, then that should lead to less diarrhea. Now, if less ironitikan is entering the gut, then maybe there is less uh, glucuronidation of SN38 and then subsequently less reabsorption. Uh, and you might uh, decrease uh, you know, that second peak that you get with the enteropatic recirculation of our can. Maybe that decreases toxicity or something like that. Neutropenia rates were 2% with relapidant versus 7% with control. So I would love to see a dedicated relapatin, irinotecan, PK study, because there seems to be less toxicity with can and relapitent. and I'm only—it's an assumption I'm making—but uh, maybe if there's less toxicity, there's less efficacy as well. But again, we need—we uh, need some better studies with relapitent with these agents, especially considering it's got a half-life of a week, and those drug interactions will last for a month. It's crazy town. Okay. I have not talked about apreptin, which is probably the neurokinin one antagonist you are most familiar with. It was the first one approved back in 2003, and the oral, uh, the oral dosing of apreptin is 125 on day one, then 80 on days two and three, and that will produce this moderate 3A4 inhibition, which will last for four days. And if you're like my students, and you see uh, the, the tables of the antiemetic cocktails, it's so confusing to keep track of the dexamethasone doses because dexamethasone is a three or four substrate. So you have to dose reduce your dexamethasone dose when it's given with natupotent or aprepatent or fosaprepitant. So the standard dose which, when if you're giving dexamethasone with normal oral aprepatent is 12 milligrams on day one of dex and then eight milligrams on days two, three, and four. And that roughly is gonna give you about 20 milligrams on those four days, which is the highest dose that we use of dexamethasone for chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. Uh, if you use FOS it's 150 milligrams IV times one. And that inhibition lasts for two days, which means your dex is still 12 on day one, still eight on day two. But then on days three and four, the dex should be eight milligrams BID because our three or four inhibition has washed out. Uh, so aprepatent, also a moderate three or four inhibitor. It's a weak 2C9 inducer, which clinically doesn't seem relevant. But there's this weird thing with aprepitant where it's also a three, four inducer. And it's a little strange because we only give the drug really for three days, but this is what happens to midazolam, AUC, if you give uh, midazolam you know, on days one, four, and eight, after you give three days of a apreptin. So on day, on day four, you get a mild increase in AUC, 25% with midazolam. On day one, the midazolam AUC doubles by about twofold, if given orally. Um, now, if you give IV midazolam on day four, uh, or on day eight, sorry, your AC goes down nineteen percent. So this is a week after you got the drug, and there seems to be some induction that's left over. So what people think is that when you first take a prepotent, there's three or four uh, inhibition, and the longer that you're exposed to a prepotent you do get some induction that hangs around for about a week. In fact, uh, this induction can lead to a decreased concentration of oral contraceptives. So there's a warning statement in the package insert. Uh, about uh, you know combined oral contraceptives containing ethanol, estradiol, and norethidone, that the trough concentration of those hormones uh, are reduced by as much as 64% for three weeks post-treatment. So there certainly could be some failure of oral contraceptives in people on a prepotent. And if you're on a prepotent, it's because you're getting chemo. Uh, now, of course, what we would worry about, as I alluded to with relapotent, are drug interactions with chemotherapy. Because this is not a strong inhibitor either; these are moderate inhibitors. You know, a, a double dose of a little of one drug one time maybe not going to cause a lot of trouble, unless that's docetaxel or etoposide or something like that. So we have some, some good dedicated pharmacokinetic studies with docetaxel uh, with aprepitant showing no change in in pharmacokinetics. Uh, same thing with doxorubicin and cyclophosphamide. Although a does decrease the convert the bioactivation of cyclophosphamide a little bit, but doesn't seem to ex- affect in the long run its exposure or ef- uh, efficacy and toxicity. We have a study with a and vinCristine, or showing no change in pharmacokinetics, and based on that, we have assumed for a long time that there is no drug drug interaction with the most commonly given vinca alkaloid in a prepotent, and that would be vinchristine, which leads me into some uh, talking about a. Uh, a paper that i uh that i published uh so this is uh jesse edwards who was a former uh, p one resident nearby uh this was her residency project she's the lead author on this but the idea here is we've always assumed that a prepotent does not interact with vincristine uh well i don't know about you but we give a lot of chop so and uh for chop you know it's got an anthracycline it's got a cyclophosphamide so some consider it highly emetogenic um but you're getting, you know, a whole bunch of prednisone. Most of the patients don't act like they're highly metagenic So locally, some of our physicians use a prepotent or fosse prepotent in some dose. So what we did was you know, let's verify that there's not a drug interaction with this. So we basically took all of our chop-like patients, uh, going back, uh, I don't know, eight, eight years or so, and d- divided them up into two groups. Either they got a prepotent or fosse prepotent in their antiemetic regimen for all six cycles, or they didn't. Um, and we you know, looked at rates of chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy, which if there was a drug interaction with vincristine between a prepotent, you would expect there to be more neuropathy. So what we found was in the no neurokinin-1 antagonist group, and we didn't have anybody on relapotent, so just a prepotent or phosphate prepotent, 36% had some chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy with CHOP-like regimens. That number uh, was increased by a factor of absolute in- increase of 20%, so from 36 to 56% if patients had a prepotent and fosate prepotent. Now, we're not the first ones to, and this has a p-value of 0.036 with a one-sided chi-square test, we're not the first ones to show that a prepotent can increase this risk of neuropathy with vincristine. There was a Japanese study that identified uh, a prepotent use as a risk factor for early onset, meaning with the first cycle, chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. Now, in these cases that we found, it's all grade one. Everyone went back to normal, not a, not clinically significant, but certainly did have um, more neuropathy. Patients didn't have to delay or reduce their dose. But, you know, we're looking at 71 patients in our NK1 group and 44 who didn't receive an NK1 antagonist. Small numbers. So this is my challenge to those of you listening. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong that there's not an interaction between a prepotent and um, and vincristine you all have got CHOP um, you know it's something to look at there may be more of a of a risk with orally prepotent because it's a longer three four inhibition than with fossa prepotent there may be more of an issue uh, especially if, if a prepotent uh or natupotent is given with uh, dose adjusted REPOC where you are giving four days of vincristine and we do see higher neuropathy rates there uh, so that is something that absolutely needs to be addressed. We don't give a ton of dose-adjust our epoch. We wouldn't have enough patients to go back and look. We could look at them, but we'd have you know, maybe 30 or 40 patients, probably not enough uh, to, to find any difference if there was a difference. Uh, so that's my challenge. I'd uh, love to see some pharmacy uh, residents doing that that research project, looking at FOSA-Prepant-A-Prepant with dose-adjust our epoch specifically. I think that would be a great project. Uh, that's my challenge, laying it down. Thank you for listening to OncoFarm. Uh, I always appreciate uh, your comments, uh, the ratings, reviews you've left on the iTunes store, those of you who've reached out to me with ideas for uh, for episodes. This was one that somebody had said uh, I should talk about, uh, so I, I will try to, to do all those in time. There are always suggestions, always ideas for topics at OncoFarm. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at FarmDTNib. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, at OncoFarmPod. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.